All right, guys, you guys ready to get started? Because we have to wrap up sanctification today, so be ready. Be ready to plow. Be ready to plow through. Imana, son, you can check. Well, let's pray. How about we pray and we'll, we'll start with that. Well, Father, Father, I just want to thank you right now, Lord, that we are all here today, Lord, that we've been gathered together again in your grace to fellowship, to have the word preached to us, Lord, to be able to open our Bibles together and to pray. Lord, we thank you for this grace that is your church. Father, I pray your blessings over Heritage Grace, Lord, in all, all aspects of what we do in this place, Lord, especially today. Please bless us. Bless us as we look at the doctrine of sanctification, Lord. Let this teaching truly be a means to grow us in this grace, Lord. Our desire, everyone who is saved, Lord, has been given a desire by the Spirit of God to grow in sanctification, to grow in Christ-likeness, and to honor you in this way, Lord. So help us. Help us to do what the Spirit in us is calling us to do, Lord. We need your help, Lord. In and of ourselves, this is beyond us, Lord. So we ask you for the help to do this, Lord. Please bless me today. Strengthen me. Um, open up the ears of the hearers, Lord, so that we may perceive wonderful things out of your word today. Lord, that's our desire. That's why we've driven here today, Lord, is to hear from you. Lord, so today we are, and now we are, are, are quiet in a sense, Lord, because we want to hear from you, Lord. So bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, so we're studying the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, Brother Beatty here is um, redrawn the... Uh, the chart that we've been looking through for us. I'm not going to be writing a lot of a lot of data down or information. I really seriously like want this to be impressed upon your minds as far as this this helps you so much. So many of the aspects of sanctification are depicted here. Um, if you remember, this is our lives before we get saved. We're just fumbling and bumbling around in unbelief and you know in works righteousness. Um, and then you get saved and definitively uh, you are you are instantly uh, grown in holiness, and this this movement here, this upward movement here, is our lives, where we progressively are moving more and more in an upward direction towards holiness and Christ likeness, and we'll do this our entire lives. Uh, the doctrine of sanctification, the work of sanctification, never stops um, this side of heaven. But number three is indicating that moment when we enter heaven, when we die, which our holiness is perfected and sin is gone, and we're made like Christ in that sense. And, uh, and that perfect holiness lasts for, for forever. Perfect holiness forever for us. That's good news. So, um, so last week, last week what we looked at was how this... This work of sanctification, this growth in our holiness, we looked at how it affects all aspects of our beings. Um, it's, it's an all-encompassing work that God is doing in us. It affects our bodies, um, our physically body, our physical bodies are being um, disciplined and taught how to um, put off what we should not do and put on what we should do. Uh, we, our, our bodies are disciplined unto godliness. Our spirit, our inward man, is changed and, and is. Um, is, is conformed more and more and strengthened and sanctified. Our intellect, our knowledge of God and of His Word grows. We're to grow in grace and knowledge. Um, we saw in 2 Peter 1. And emotionally, our, our emotions um, grow. 
And I pointed there to, to really bring home that point was the fruit of the Spirit. You know, so many of the fruit of the Spirit is emotional aspects of us, um, you know. So that's, that's what we looked at last week. That's really all we got to cover is just how our whole person is growing in all aspects. So today, what we're going to look at is um, the means by which the Spirit uses in this work. What is the Spirit of God using practically, in a sense, to do this work in us? I call it kind of like the nuts and bolts of sanctification. This is usually like, or the application part of it, what everybody wants to hear. Just tell me how to do it, right? Let's, let's get to it. Um, so that's what we're looking at, the means by which the Spirit of God... Um, and so when I say the means, we use that language a lot, but what, all it means is what is the methods, what is the, the resources, what are the different ways that the Spirit does this growth in us? Um, Paul told us to work out our salvations, and so what we're really looking at are the practical ways in which the Spirit um, gives us to do that. How do we work it out? Well, we're going to find that we're going to find that out today as we look at these practical means. Um, I have many of them drawn out. Uh, there's a big three. There's a big three here um, that we're really going to concentrate on. Probably is all we're going to have time for. Uh, but none of the means of grace, none of the means that we're going to talk about um, to grow in sanctification should surprise you. Nothing's going to be something you haven't heard before. Um, it's interesting uh, that the reformers would, would refer to the big three as the ordinary means of grace. The ordinary means of grace. So what they're not saying there is that these means of grace are ordinary in the sense in that they're um, not special or that they're just um, humdrum sort of things, maybe the way we use ordinary. Um, when the, refor- the reformers refer to the ordinary means of grace, um, they're the basic means of grace. They're the, they're the means of grace that should be so constant in our lives, that should be so fundamental and so common, so happening every day that we could refer to them as ordinary. This is the ordinary Christian life, in other words. These are the things that the Lord has given to us by which we, we grow. So the ordinary means of grace are not simply ordinary. Um, they're actually supernatural they're actually supernatural means by which God is, is growing us in his grace. So don't let the language throw you off of ordinary because it's by no means ordinary in the sense we might naturally think of it. Um, does anybody, maybe off the top of their head, know what the Reformers were referring to when they said the ordinary means of grace? There's three. Does anybody can think off the top of their head? And maybe if you don't even have the, ref, the Reformed reference from the 17th century, maybe just think maybe just from... Your general knowledge of the Bible. What are the main things that God uses in our lives to grow us in this grace of sanctification? Any ideas? The what church. may the church? I I put the church. That's what I had said. The reformers refer to the aspect of the church. As, they're referring specifically there to the sacraments or what they call the sacraments, the, the ordinances, Lord's Supper, baptism. That was the specific aspect. I think everything we're going to look at is under the church, right? None of these things can be separated from the church, but that's right. The church is huge um, as far as how God's growing us. What, what maybe besides the ordinances are the main means of grace that we should be looking to? The studying of His Word. The Word, that's right. The Word, the church, what maybe is another means of grace that you need every day prayer. To, in prayer? That's right. 
Those are the big three we're going to look at, okay? Um, I think, as I said, nobody's surprised. Oh, wow, like, I was looking for a secret to grow here, like, really quickly, <laughs> right? That's maybe what you're hoping for, but that's why they say these are the ordinary means of grace. Like, I want you to be convinced of that because so many people, I think, unfortunately, maybe aren't convinced biblically that these are the means by which we need to look to to grow, and they look elsewhere. They look to emotional experience, maybe, right, as the means to judge by whether they're growing or God's working in their lives or whatever. But um, these means of grace that we're going to look at are really what, you, what I want you to be convinced of. As you want to grow in grace, these are the things you need to give yourself over to. Um, and maybe if you're not growing as you uh, maybe desire to grow, right? Maybe if you're not making the progress, you're kind of maybe even worried about your salvation, that means you haven't been giving yourself over to these things rightly, right? Or fully enough to see enough growth. Remember what Jonathan Edwards said? He'd give himself over to the study of the Word of God until he could perceive growth. I think that's, that's what we all should be doing. We should all be seeing, because really, it's going up. If, you're sanctific- if you've are if you been saved and your sanctification is going up, it should be something um, noticeable, I guess, or there should be an outward manifestation of the grace of God in your life. So if you haven't been getting to work like you should be, it's time. What did Paul say? I don't, I don't look back. I, I press on forward. That's the call at this point for all of us, right? If you haven't been confronted with the reality to grow, maybe it just hasn't hit you, right? But now you want just forget what lies behind and press forward and, and pursue these means of grace maybe like you never have, right? Be Hopefully, we're just, I mean, we don't have time to look at a lot of texts, but we're going to look at some texts that I think will... Um, should convince you that these are the things that God is using that you need to pursue if you really want to grow in holiness. So let's get started. Number one, we're giving it primacy, um, the Word of God. The Word. The Word of God to grow. Um, as the Reformers, you know, kind of systematized these, these means of grace and, and wrote them down, they were referring specifically or, or most importantly to the preaching of the Word of God to the preaching of the Word of God as being the means by which God uses it and grows you in His Word, to have the Word preached to you, right? So that, knowing that and just having that understanding is all the more reason to get to church, right, and be glad that you're right here right now because we get to have the Word of God preached to us, right? Or something that God has chosen to use about that that really drives home, you know, the, the truth of His Word in a way that maybe you under the tree, you know, in your backyard reading your Bible may not, may not do. But I, I brought it out as we talk about the Word of God. I'm broadening it out here, primarily the preaching of the Word of God, but I put teaching, um, receiving teaching of the Scriptures, memorizing the Scriptures, meditating on the Scriptures, singing the Scriptures, the Scriptures. The Word of God is the main means of grace by which you're going to grow, and that's going to be the foundation for your sanctification um, Jesus prayed this in, in, in John 17 as he was praying to the Father. John 17, 17. He said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Right? What was the means by which Jesus prayed to the Father that his people would be sanctified? The word. Sanctify them in the word. So really foundationally, uh, the word of God is... It's foundational really for everything in the Christian life, you know, as you think about it. It's through the Word of God, because nature, right, through nature, we're learning very little. 
we do learn and we are aware of God's existence, but um, through the Word of God, we actually find out in a detailed fashion who God is. It's through the Word of God we know um, rightly who we are. It's through the Word of God that we see and understand our, our plight and our, uh, our fallenness and our sinfulness. It's through the Word of God that we know how to be redeemed. And it's through the Word of God that you're going to know. This is why I'm saying the Word of God is so foundational, because without the Word of God, we wouldn't know these things. But the Word of God is telling us all of the other ways and explaining to us all the other ways that God gives us so that we can grow. Right? If you want to know how else to grow, what the other means of grace are, be convinced of those, the Word of God is the only place you're going to find that. So the Word of God is foundational for even knowing um, how to grow. And it's an objective revelation. We've been given a book that doesn't change. We've been given words that are not going to change. Right? The objective, that's so comforting. That's why I love the Word of God. You know, every, I mean, so many people you know, seek different revelations, and God did reveal himself in different ways at times, but could there be anything better than an objective written word that's not going to change, that there's no way to change it or no fear that it might change or fear that you might get a different revelation later? Right? Isn't that that's so comforting to know that we have the objective place to go for this? So um, just as we think about the Word of God, and, and as you listen, as you turn to the Word of God to seek sanctification, um, as you read the Word of God, as you hear it preached and hear it taught, um, as you're hearing those words, hear them as if you are hearing the very voice of God and receive it as such, because in reality, you actually are. When we, when we read the Word of God, when you have it preached to you, you are hearing from God. And the commands that are spoken there and the commands that are preached to you, that is God himself preaching to you these commands. You should receive them as such, and you should respond as such, as if you're audibly hearing the Word of God being spoke to you. Right? That's, that's how we should receive the Word of God. And I think if we really believe that, would we respond better than we do? Right? Would we be better doers of the Word? if we actually believe that this was God speaking to us. I know we believe it, but we could believe it more. You know, we could grow in that. Um, in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, Peter says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word. Long for the pure milk of the word. For what reason? What was the, what's the purpose that we should be longing, waking up, desiring to hear the word of God? The purpose clause, so that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. Right? Wake up in the morning wanting to hear the word of God so that by it you can grow in your salvation, which I think is not referring to getting saved. It's talking about growing in the salvation you already have, your sanctification. It's by the word of God that you should long to hear God tell you um, how it is that you can please him more and be a better, more godly Christian and witness for him. So... James one twenty two. prove yourselves to be doers of the word, not merely hearers, because what, what is it if you just come to church and just read your Bible and you just hear the word, but there's no change? What's happening? What does James say is actually happening there? The most frightening thing I think that could happen to someone, you're deceiving yourself, that's right. Self-deception is, I think, the worst possible, right? Because you think one thing about yourself, but you're actually wrong. You've actually self-deceived yourself. So make sure that's not happening. Be fearful of being that. Be fearful of just being one who hears the word merely, but you're not seeing growth. 
Fight for growth so that you can see it. That's that's good and right, and, and you will be pleased. Um, yes, sir. Chris, I just yes, want to say that I was just kind of um, reading over Peter when he talked about having a, a defense ready for when people ask for the hope that's within you. And yeah. I think one of the interesting parts I was kind of contemplating on or thinking about on that was that, you know, when do, are you living in such a way that people ask about the hope that's within you? And, uh, mm. you know, it's like we all kind of look at it like, yeah, I'm going to have a defense, but, you know, prepare the defense, but not always like living out that life. To, uh, so that it's in a way that people are noticing and want to uh, have to open within us. I've, I think that's very, I think that's a good point. I've, I've thought about that myself is, because the text does say, be ready to give an answer for anybody who asks for the hope. The re, I think the, the question that you're saying might be a real question to ask yourself is how often are you living, how often are you living in such a way that people are asking you for the hope that lies within you? Have you ever even been asked that? Bro, how is it that you live your life and go through troubles in this life in such a way that what is this hope you have? Are we even being asked that? Right? You know what I mean? So that's that's a real that's a real question. Somehow that text has to apply to us. You know, like so that's right. Live your life in such a way that people can tell and they want to know. We've kind of laughed at that, I think, sometimes, like, you know, what's that special joy you have? No, that's a real that should be real. We should be different than a world who is in utter foundationless and chaos in their minds, you know, and but we have a hope. We have a real hope. Ovidio or Trish? Let Trish go first. Okay, um, uh, we were, uh, one of my neighbors, uh, some of you may have met them, they're, in the, they're uh, from Sri Lanka, mm-hmm. and um, I had posted something online, and she she said, oh wow, I can't believe that you, you live right right on this, in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and I go, well, where do you live? And she said the address, you know, Hammock Lake, and I go, oh, I live on Hammock Lake too. Well, it turned out she wanted to join us for evangelism. She they, her she already had R.C. Sproul's book, the one that our women are coming through. Oh wow! Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. Well, um, I had mistaken her last week for a different for a different um, Indian lady, and oh. uh, it was the weirdest thing because I was thinking in my head, she doesn't look like she has so much joy in her eyes. The other lady that I was thinking she was hmm. wasn't saved. Right. And so it wasn't adding up. Like, why does she look like she has light? It was so evident. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, just how the Lord, yeah. the difference between, you know, when you're talking about, like... There is some sort of subjective aspect to a hope that somebody has, you know, yeah. that somebody doesn't. Yeah, it's like you they know? had light in their eyes. It was very evident that she, she hadn't. Ovidio, right. do you have something too, really? I was just going to add to his comment, which seems okay. to a good point. Yeah. We always focus on building the, a defense, you know, to have the knowledge or the response, and I feel like we fail compassion with that. Mm. Uh, similar to, to Jesus and the disciples in Mark 6, um, despite preaching the good word, despite John the Baptist having his head up, uh, chopped off, putting him in a tomb, yet they were still bombarded with 5,000. Mm. But he had compassion for them, despite what they were going through. So I think mm. it's a good reminder of living that out with compassion. Yeah, yeah. like one aspect of when we talk about sanctification, one of the word groups that we said would be included in this is the concept of good deeds, good works, the compassions, right? The outward of, of helping and ministry. And that's all part of, it should be part of, you should be growing in those things. You should be growing your compassion and help for others and really um, sympathy for their lostness, you know, should, could drive you for that, you know. Um, okay, so let's keep moving. Um, let's see here. Just one, one note, one last thing maybe to say about the Word of God that I thought might be helpful is 
You know, as you think about the Word of God in general, and maybe seeking the Word of God to, to specifically grow in your sanctification, I thought um, maybe sometimes we don't know where to start. Right? The Bible is a very big book um, on very many different subjects in one sense. Maybe where, where could you start if you earnestly wanted to specifically desire, how do I specifically for me grow and sanctify? Where do I go when I turn in this Bible? Do I do just the Bible roulette and just open it up? I just thought um, there are specific passages in the Bible that are dedicated to your specific situation and calling in life, right? That, that gives you specific directions personally for your situation. If you're a father, the Bible tells you specifically how to be a father. If you're a husband, it tells you specifically how to be a husband, right? If you're a pastor, it tells you specifically how to be a pastor, right? The Bible actually tells us directly um, in more detail. So maybe seek out those passages. If you're just looking on, on ways to maybe check yourself and develop your sanctification, I would grow in the specific things that the Bible tells you about your position and calling in life and, and maybe start there, right, and, and branch out. Um, I just thought maybe that was just a little, maybe just a little helpful application that you could seek out. Let's turn now to prayer. Let's turn now to prayer. Uh, we see in the life, as we read through the Gospels, um, the perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ, we see him exercising prayer as a means of grace um, to, to persevere. Not that he needed to grow in holiness in, in, in that sense, um, but we see him executing it perfectly, always, Right when, when life got hard for Jesus, what did he do? He prayed. We see him taking time to pray. We see him stealing away right, to pray. We have, we have that example from the Lord of, of putting prayer into practice in our lives in that sense. Um, Ephesians 6.18 tells us, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, in ordinary means of grace. Pray at all times. This should be constant. Um, I don't feel the need to qualify in one sense what it means by praying at all times, right? It doesn't mean walking around audibly, you know, or on your knees 24-7. But we know it's the spirit of prayer. We know that it's taking the time all the time, as much time as possible, to pray. Um, it's interesting what he goes on to say there. Paul says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So his ongoing prayer, is it has a, a focus, it's perseverance in, in the continuation, in the growth, and not even for himself, but also for all the saints. Right. So prayer is something that is not even just for us, we know, right? It's also to, our prayers are actually for the good of other people's sanctification. Right. If your wife's not sanctified like you want her to be, Pray for her. You know, that's, that's what it's saying here. Pray for the saints. Pray for all the other saints. Colossians 1, 9, 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it. This is what Paul says. For we have not ceased to pray for you, Paul says to the church. For what purpose? Why hasn't he ceased to pray for them? So that you may be filled with all knowledge of his will. Right there again, the, 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 the basic use and need of knowledge in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, for what purpose? For what purpose does Paul pray that they'll be filled with knowledge? What's the end of that? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. See, the purpose of Paul's prayer, the chain, prayer, 
so that they may grow in the grace and knowledge of God, so that they may be fruitful and live lives worthy of the gospel that they've been called to. See how that chain works? That ends up um, leading to a growth in sanctification. Um, Prayer is certainly one of the graces, as we think about these graces, that I think is the unfortunately easily overlooked and missed grace. Right? It's so easy, I think, especially in this day and age, maybe. Um, it's probably always been like that, but I think prayer can be neglected um, just in proportion to the other means of grace that maybe we seek. I know personally I've always felt more, I've always felt more drawn or more um, quick to study the Word of God uh, than pray. For me, it always, because as we said, the, what we're getting from the Word is direct revelation from God, audibly, or not audibly, but in a sense, objectively, this is my will. That's what I wanted to know, Lord. Prayer, I think, you know, there is more subjective aspects to it where maybe, you know, we can ask a question or seek it, but we may not hear audibly or objectively what the answer is. And so it may just be easier to turn to the Word because it's sure and straightforward and clear. Prayer is a different aspect to it. It takes faith to pray. Right? It takes faith to take God at his word that he is going to answer your prayer in time, that it is a means of grace by which he will change things you know, for your good, whether it's what you ask for or not, but it is what God calls us to do. Christ did it, and we can't, we can't doubt that. Um, I, listened to a, uh, I listened to an audio by J.I. Packer, if you all know who that is. He did a lecture on sanctification and just along, he went off on this line of thought of why these days, and he's always comparing everybody to the Puritans, right? So in comparison to them, we, we aren't even Christians. You know? <laughs> um, so, but he was just talking about the reality that I'm saying is why, as I think about why don't we pray, I think technology comes to mind, right? Entertainment, so many whatever things, right? So many other things that are, preoccupying with us, maybe that in times before they didn't have so many beeps and things to look at and hear and those iPads and pods and stuff like that. They didn't have all that. Um, this is the things that he said are distracting the, the he didn't even mention media, the, the Christians these days is what he came up with. Um, he said Christians these days are, are, are neglecting personal piety, specifically in prayer, because of Number one, he said, we're preoccupied with controversy. We're, over, we're just completely um, preoccupied with contribu- controversy, debating every issue. I thought maybe this is how um, social media and stuff, I know that was a problem for me with like social media, was constant debate, constant, you know, with a good motive, I think, but it would just it did it consumed me, right? I had to I had to cut that off for the reason of things like prayer. But that's what he said. Preoccupied with controversy, he said. Preoccupation with scholarship was a strange thing that for J.I. Packer to say, but he said he knows that the majority of men he knows are preoccupied with scholarship in the study, and even um, scholarship for good reasons of fighting um, things as liberalism and heresies and all those are good. Um, this one, um, hold your tomatoes because this is J.I. Packer's list. He said outreach, evangelism, preoccupation with evangelism. And he didn't elaborate on that, but you know what I said? I said maybe just to receive what he's saying and, and consider it. Um, he's, I said consider the ratio of how many we're preaching to 
versus how many we're actually praying for. Is all we're doing preaching and no prayer for them? You see how that could be a problem and not be as effective maybe as you want it to be, right? So I think that could be legitimate. But all those things, as of course we know, these are all legitimate endeavors, right? But if they completely suppress your personal piety in time with the Lord in prayer, then these things are actually not good for you in that sense. Is, is, or as far as much as you're doing them, right? If you're not making time to pray, what's the old saying? Second opinions, like 315, if, if you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. That's true, right? If you're not making time for prayer, I don't care if you're doing godly things. You're too busy. You see, that's, that's, the, that's the reality of it. So I'll never forget what Calvin said. First time I read him, um, I was reading through his institutes on prayer. And... Um, there he makes the point, which was frightening to me. It really hit home, but in, in, he's, he's, he's commentating on Romans 8.15, where it, it talks about how the, the Christian has received the spirit of adoption. You, you receive the spirit of God when you become a Christian. And what does the spirit of God cause you to do? It causes you to cry out, Abba, Father, right, it says. From that, John Calvin is saying, uh, one of, the, I guess, the consequences of that, that truth, he's saying, if, if you don't pray, then you're not a Christian, See, that's simple, which is terrifying. If, if we're honest with ourselves and how our prayer life can be at times, that's terrifying. Um, but I think that stirred me up. You know, I needed to hear that. I remember when I, it was years ago when I read that, and I said, wow, that's that's terrifying thought. But that's true. Because if the Spirit's in you, guess what the Spirit does? It causes you, it says, to cry out, Abba, Father, which just means to pray to God and to, to seek Him, right? So I'll never forget that, that John Calvin said that. Um, Prayer, as far as like considering um, maybe the, the truthfulness of, of the work of the Spirit in you as far as prayers related, I think prayer is one of the truest tests of your actual sanctification or lack thereof. Uh, because it's one of those things that nobody else sees, right? We can, we can do many things in the Christian life that everybody sees, and therefore they think we are very sanctified and very godly. Prayer is something that nobody else knows, nobody else sees. You could not be doing it all, and everybody could think you're the most godly person. right? But it's the, the two that I've always put in my mind is a prayer and giving. These are the two things that nobody else knows. Nobody else, you, know, you can hide these things your whole Christian life, but actually be an ungodly person. See, so I think, you know, just to give yourself a real gut check, on, and it's just one aspect, but it's a big one. It's, it's one that you can test yourself by. Where are you at on your, on your growth and sanctification? How's your prayer life? Let that be a good, a good um, objective uh, way to check yourself. Let me just, I'll just put little helps at the end of all these. This is something Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said, always respond to every impulse to pray. See that? Always. Respond to every impulse you get to pray. He says, I would make an absolute law of this. Always obey such an impulse. Interesting. We'll never, we'll never. I've already tried. I've already failed at that. But you, you know what he's saying? Don't doubt that that's not the Spirit of God calling you to cry out, Abba, Father. Right? Make a good habit. And I don't think that's going to happen, you know, like if there's something you should be doing other than prayer at that moment. But we know, you know what he means. 
you know how many times you've decided, no, I just, I, I, I really feel the call, the call to pray right now, but I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm just going to put on this song. I'm just going to whatever, you know, stop doing that. Stop ignoring the Spirit of God, right? That's what he's saying. Yes, ma'am. Um, just reminded that there's many times for me where I've, um, you know, you're having fellowship and you talk to someone and they tell you what's going on in their life, any kind of trials or any prayer. And sometimes you tell them, I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. And it's just better to pray for them right there because yep. you go home, you can forget or you get yep. busy. And yep. I'm trying to learn to do that. Yeah. Amen. That's a good habit. And, all, and maybe let me just mention habit, the word habit. Because if we talk about growing in grace, the, the word the Apostle Paul used a lot of time was discipline. This is talking about forming godly habits. Right? There's nothing unspiritual about being disciplined and forming godly habits so that you're doing the things that you should be doing and it becomes a habit in your life. That's a good thing. So that would be a good habit to start implementing, right? As soon as somebody's sharing a concern or a problem that you Get in the habit of right now, like your mind should be turning, man, I need to pray for you now. Not only just so I won't forget later, but because that they would very much appreciate that. And because we do forget, we do forget. Let's move in because we, I'm going to move quick now. Okay, y'all ready? I know some of y'all are writing, so it's time to turn on the juice. Um, let's move into these aspects of the church that were mentioned because the church plays a primary role in our sanctifications. Um, I mentioned that the, when the Reformers were referring to this, I'm going to broaden out a bit, but they were referring specifically to baptism and the Lord's Supper, these two ordinances of the church by which we um, are, are visibly presenting um, the, the gospel and the truth of the gospel. We're visibly getting to see these things through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, we've been presenting, we get to visibly preach the gospel. In baptism, uh, we get to physically participate and act out the spiritual reality of our newfound union with Christ. We get to act out union with Christ by going under, dying to ourselves and rising with him to a new life. We get to visually um, act out in that. And I think uh, maybe as we just talked, I know my baptism has, has always ministered to me and just actually being baptized and going through that and actually having a proper understanding and actually being saved ministered to me. It was a means of grace to me personally, right? Much less the other people in the church at the time. But I think it does minister to other people in the church at the time. I know like when we have baptisms, it's encouraging because we see that we know that the Spirit of God has been working in our midst and, and the church is encouraged. It's a means of grace. Yes. God is saving. Right? That's what we that's what encourages us. It's so good to see God's Spirit saving people. In the Lord's Supper, we also get to um, to act this out in a sense because we as a body we have the blessing that we're going to have today of proclaiming the Lord's death, all of us, as we partake, are proclaiming together the Lord's death until he comes. Right? Everybody wants to get to do what Emilio does, but in another aspect, we all get to proclaim that word he uses there, the Lord's death. We all get to do that today together. So that's a means of grace for us to, to do that, and we'll do that until he comes back. Um, the Lord's Supper is an edifying and unifying proclamation I thought of another way in which the Lord's Supper is supposed to um, grow us in sanctification is that when we take the Lord's Supper, uh, we are to be taking the Lord's Supper. Um, how did I say it? I said, 
in taking the supper, it sanctifies us in that we're obligated to address our sins. Right? You see how the Lord's Supper, by knowing it's coming up, sometimes we have to apologize to somebody or we have to, you know, get right or ask for forgiveness for the Lord for something. You know, it, it causes us to, to do these things, um, and that's good, and the Lord uses it for that means. And so the Supper blesses us in that way. I couldn't um, talk about the way that the church um, is used in our edification without mentioning, maybe turn there, this is the one always worth turning to, Ephesians chapter 4. Emilio calls it Paul's utopian view for the church, right? Paul's utopian view for the church. This is the way Paul wants the church to look when it's running, um, when it's running well. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll just read a little part of it. But just see how the church operates and actually blesses us and helps us. Let's just pick up in verse 15. It says, But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the credit, uh, who is the head, even Christ. That's our progressive sanctification. We're growing up into the image of Christ. It says, From whom the whole body, which is us, the church, from whom the whole body is being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, that means each one of us are joints and we're holding each other together, according to the proper working of each individual part. Right? So if everybody is in the church doing what they're supposed to be doing, ministering, serving, functioning, um, loving each other as we should, what's going to happen? It says it causes the growth for the whole body, for the building up of itself in love. You see how the church and we're all functioning it are actually blessing each other. We're all growing together into the image of Christ. So the church, you can't, the Lone Ranger Christian mentality is not biblical. right? You're not going to grow um, in that sense. Uh, as I thought about the church here, um, Pretty much everything else I had is under the rubric of the church. But let me just mention maybe, I had Colossians 1.28 here where it says, um, this is Paul speaking, and I'll just read it to you. He says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. So why does Paul preach Christ? Why does Paul preach? Why does he admonish? Why is he teaching? So for the purpose that we may present every man complete in Christ. The purpose of all the, the teaching aspect and preaching aspect of the, of the church is so that people will, as we said, learn about the Word of God and grow in respect to salvation and be complete in Christ. That's a, every pastor's desire, is that the people will grow and be made um, complete in Christ. And so maybe um, even more practically, so what does that require of the church? If you have uh, maybe some in particular who are given this role there are these ligaments in the church, or maybe they're the mouths of the, of the body. What does it require of those who are receiving this preaching, this teaching, this admonishing that Paul's talking about? To grow in sanctification, I said, um, requires submission to those who are teaching to you. You have to receive from them what they're saying, or you're not going to grow, right? So if you can't receive from the teachers, you need to find different teachers. You need to go somewhere else. You must be receiving the word of God from whoever um, the Lord has put over you in the church. Um, that's where I had my note for there's no such thing as lo- uh, Lone Ranger mentality where it's just you and your Bible under the tree. Really, that's just a, 
a pride, a pride, a pride-filled mentality, right? Whereby you, you got it, you got it figured out, you got this under control. You don't need what God says you need, right? That's that's all it is. So never allow yourself in in the years and the lifetime that you're about to devote to the Church of God. Never get to the place where you even allow those thoughts to come in. Was where I don't need the church anymore. I've just had so many problems in the church. You know what? I'm just going to go do. I'm just going to do this on my own. The terrible story I've heard, and from what I've researched, it seems y'all know A.W. Pink. Unfortunately, I've heard at the end of his life, he was one of those who basically separated himself from the church because of the struggle of being a pastor. For all of those years, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't handle that rightly. He didn't. As bright as he was, as seemingly knowledgeable about the Word of God. He, re, he, he did not receive um, God's providence in the church rightly, and it, and it hardened his heart. And he just turned to his Bible at his house by himself. That is ungodly, and I fear for his soul. I, could, I mean, I can say that. I don't know exactly all the details of it, but before, I mean, he separated himself. He gave up on the church of God, apparently. Don't ever let that happen to you. You see what I mean? That's, you're, you're self-deceived. The church is going to have problems, brothers and sisters. I'm going to wrong you. You're going to wrong me, right? I forgive you already. Please forgive me. Let's keep going, right? Let's keep going. Let's not, right? Because we're not here, right? We're not here. We're trying to do this wherever we are, you know? So just let's just realize that and and move forward from that. Um, Let me try to wrap this up. Other things I put here by means of sanctification is imitating the sanctified. I think that's a big, Paul had three well, I had one from Hebrews, but Paul says it two other places, is, is find those in the church to admire and to put yourself under and to be discipled by and to be someone to mimic, right? Paul says that, be imitators of me, Paul says, uh, just as I also am of Christ. That's a good thing. I put imitate non-biblical brethren. Imitate, I don't mean non-biblical as in unchristian. Okay. I mean, yeah, probably should. I, the faces help me to qualify. Um, I, I put the Puritans, for instance, read them. Because there was, there's no modern people group that I know of who took sanctification in particular as seriously as they did. Right? You can learn much. You can be greatly convicted by reading the Puritans and their view of holiness. And Of course, we wouldn't agree on all of their views of how to go about holiness. But the, the heart was certainly there. Right, and the desire and the actual working out of these things, right? They were committed, fully committed to devoting themselves um, to that. Um, I put help others be disciples. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us stimulate one another to love and good works. Um, receive God's discipline. Receive God's discipline. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how God, as a good father, as a good father does for their children, they discipline, receive that discipline, and be changed by it. Right? Don't do what we do, right? And put our hand back and try to block the, the spanking. No, receive your discipline and, and grow from it. Right? Um, what else do I have? I have to mention this one because it's huge. Um, and, it, and it's spoken of in both of those real general epistles, Ephesians and Colossians. But we refer to it as like the put off, put on principle, the lay off, put on principle, where Paul says, let me just read this text. Let's turn there really quickly. We're running short on time, but we're gonna we're, we'll be all right. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty. Let's pick up there. But this is just an important concept as far as learning how to discipline yourself unto godliness. Practically, what what am I supposed to be doing with my sin? 
and, and, and what do I do with it, and what, and what do I add, maybe? But in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, it says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, this is talking about before you were saved, how you lived, um, he says, in reference to your, old, to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So, so you lay off the old self. You lay off the deeds of the flesh. You lay off the things that you know are sinful and wrong. Um, and what do you do? Verse 24 says, And you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. See? So the mindset there is to, it sounds rudimentary, it sounds simple, but it is simple. Stop doing this. Stop sinning. Stop using your body for this. Stop using your time for this. Stop using your mouth for this. Stop using use your clothing for this. Um, stop using your mind for these things. But don't just stop doing things. Put on righteousness. Right? So, if all you do is play video games, for instance, right? if you just stop playing video games, what are you going to do? You're probably just going to fill your time with maybe some other unedifying thing. But don't just stop at not playing video games too much. Put on reading the Word of God. Put on prayer. Put on evangelism. Put on fellowship. Whatever. Right? The put-off, put-on principle. That's something we can consciously do um, in, in our lives to, to fill the void of where our, if our old self is gone, we need to fill it with the new, the new self. We need to fill it with the, the things that God's calling us to. Um, I'm going to mention one last one, and I think it's just, it's just right to mention, um, but God's providence is a means by which we are sanctified. God's providence in our lives. The situations, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, these could be many things. This could be conflict. Conflict with your friends. Conflict with your family. Conflict with the brethren at church. Um, God uses these as trials and tribulations to, to grow us in faith and in perseverance. Um, God's providence can bring about health problems, right? That God is, is meaning to bring in our lives for our good, for our actual growth. And in that we can, we can find joy in our, in our health problems. Even in our sin. Even in our sin. I know when I sin, through God's disciplines, for instance, and, and just through the shame that you feel, through the fear that it brings of just being as sinful as we are still, those things sanctify us. Those things help us to be afraid and to seek Christ more and to purify our lives. So... Our lives are God's, and he's doing what he wants with them, but he's doing, just as Romans 8 tells us, everything that's for our good. Everything that happens to the Christian is for our good, and we should use it to that end. Now, those are all just the, the, the means of grace that I wanted to mention for us in pursuing your righteousness, and I didn't want to end all of this without mentioning maybe just some motivations to pursue these things. What are some motivations to pursue this this, as we've talked about, this suffering, this work, right, this disciplining of ourselves. Maybe I need some more motivation to do that. Well, number one on my list is 
the motivation to desire these things is that God has saved you. God has saved you. You're now no longer going to hell for eternity. You owe God everything. Right? So wake up in the morning knowing that your life is not yours. Look, stumble around, look for your cross, and, be, and thankfully carry it. And, and do it out of gratitude, not of thanksgiving, because you're not going to hell anymore. And you should be. Mm-hmm. God has saved you. Right? He's purchased you, it says. You're actually, you have no right. You have no right not to pursue holiness. You have no right. God has purchased you with the blood of Christ. He's made the payment. He deserves to get what he's paid for. You be Christ-like. You be a saint like he saved you to be. Right? That's, that should be motiva- motivating. I put, of course, in there that text that we started off with. It's a command of God to pursue all of these things. No options. God said in 1 Peter 1.15, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your behavior. Everything. Pursue this. Um, the other biblical motivations, desire to be like Christ. Right, The Spirit of God, you should have the desire just to be like Him. Paul wanted to fellowship and be like Christ in every way, even in his sufferings. Paul said he wanted to be like Christ in every way and relate to Christ, even through sufferings. Um, the return of Christ is a motivation for you to pursue holiness. Hebrews talks about those who, when Christ comes back, are going to be afraid to see Him and not want to see Him. No, when Christ comes, you want to be busy about the work of God. You want to be busy about your sanctification. You want to be a, that busy servant who's not afraid to see the Master return, but you want to be glad. So pursue sanctification. I put to avoid God's discipline may be a good, a good reason. To avoid being a stumbling block to the world and to others in the church. Pursue righteousness. Don't be an unsanctified person. It's not good for anyone. It's not good for you. It's not good for others. It's not good for your family. Lastly, eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. I know that's maybe, for some of us, always been like an awkward thing, right? To seek rewards. But biblically, it's okay. Right? We're receiving all of this by grace. Mm-hmm. You're not saved unless you've been saved by grace. God gives you these rewards by grace. He's doing the work in you in the first place. There's nothing shameful about desiring rewards. God encourages it. He commands it. He commands it. Right? Don't store up riches in heaven. I mean, here on earth, store up riches in heaven. It's a command. Be doing this. Store up your self-rewards in heaven. Right? That's where God's going to be waiting for us on that day to give us these things. So I pray this was a blessing for you. It was a blessing to me. I've been sanctified by studying the Word of God. So let's pray really quickly and let's go to service, okay? Well, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the study of your Word and Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for just bringing to our minds once again the the truths of the importance of Christ-likeness and and the ways in which we are to pursue this. We thank you that we have these means right here at our fingertips, Lord, at Heritage Grace, Lord, that right now we are to be walking into these means of grace as we're prepared to partake of the Lord's Supper today, Lord, to, to hear the preaching of the word, Lord. You have been good to us. You provide all of the things that we need for godliness, Lord. It's only us keeping us from our sanctification, Lord. So please help us, Lord, our desires to be like Christ and to please you. We thank you for our salvations. Lord, please just give us the grace that we need. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.